0: Welcome, this is Jerry Harrison Jr. uh, for Hollywood Swinging. I have my co-host, Stephen Bishop, uh, former professional baseball player, current uh, actor. Uh, He's critically acclaimed in my book, probably the best actor in the game today outside of Denzel Washington. Definitely has a look. Stephen, how you doing, brother?
1: I'm good, Jerry. Hey, I appreciate that intro, the critically acclaimed part, especially in your book, because I know your book is, you know, it's a difficult book to get into. I'm happy to be there in any, you know, in any capacity. And the fact that you, you put something on it, I appreciate that.
0: You know what? I, I, I've been having, having a hard time the last couple of days. Uh, you were second behind Denzel. I may have to put you third. If, if I'm being honest, I may have to put you third because, man, Viola Davis, bro, I, I mean – this woman is an incredible actress. I just saw Air, uh, incredible film uh, by Ben Affleck uh, and Viola Davis played Dolores Jordan, Michael Jordan's mother. She was incredible. And obviously she's done incredible stuff over the years but you might be hitting third in my, in my lineup, bro. Uh You might be Denzel, Viola Davis right next to Denzel. And then you're going to have to be third. I'm sorry, Steven.
1: Well, Hey, listen, if I can be spoken in the same sentence as those two people, in any, in any situation, I feel honored. So if I have to, if I have to hit third in that lineup, you know, I'm, I'm used to hitting third. I'm a guy. I can drive in some runs. I can, you know, they get on base. They, hey, there's a guy behind me right, just walking right through our podcast. Hi.
0: Hi,
1: buddy. How you doing? Uh,
0: well, well speak, speaking of uh, driving in runs, uh, we're going to introduce our guest. Uh, he's a former police officer, uh, and he's basically carried his brother uh, to critical fame. Uh, Eric Hernandez. What's Uh, happening? Welcome, brother. How you been?
2: I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. How about you guys?
0: Good, man. Doing well.
1: Good to have you, Eric. Good to have you, man.
0: Hey, thanks for the idea of having me, guys. Uh, I'm honored. Hey, you know, I want to get into this, Eric. We all know you as an incredible drummer uh, for, obviously, your brother, Bruno Mars, and, and his group, but before you were this mega superstar You are a police officer. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know,
2: uh, I I moved to Los Angeles in pursuit of the big dream, you know, uh, to actually hoping to be where I'm at today. Um, Moved out to Los Angeles from Hawaii, you know, went from being a drummer with one of the best gigs on the island, you know, big fish in a small pond to coming out here and learning real quick. I'm a super small fish in a mega pond. And uh, so, you know, I, I had a few stints with 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 gigs, and, and I started playing and traveling, uh, kind of like Western regionally, and uh, learned real quick that the bills had to get paid, and 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 my drumming career wasn't gonna suffice that at the time, um, so I had to get a day job. I started as a uh, security guard in our loss prevention inside of a uh, Robinsons May stores, you may remember. <laughs> um, And uh, I used to, uh, we'd arrest shoplifters and and LAPD or whatever department um, in their city would pick up my my suspects and would say, man, you write a pretty good police report. You ought to consider taking the test. And I always said, no, no way. I'll never be a cop, not in L.A. And, uh, you know, uh, things happen. And I was like, you know what, that pension looks pretty good and uh, the (laughs) the benefits. And I opted to take the test. I actually failed the test, which made me want it more. Uh, And then I pursued it actively and and yeah i did it for 15 years on the books
0: you know i always was always been fascinated i have friends that are firefighters police officers uh i've always been fascinated about their work ethic i mean you have to be on your p's and q's you know serving the community can you kind of walk us through some experiences that you've experienced uh during your 15 years on the force
2: you know you're absolutely right you do have to mind your p's and q's uh you know, it's, it's ha- it has to be one of those things you're almost prepared to e- either get hurt prepared to to have to shoot or fire your firearm you have to have that mentality if if you're going to to survive and i don't mean like be excited with the gun no i mean like you just have to prepare it to protect your life or protect others um and uh i've been through some some really hazy things i've been lucky and fortunate to work pretty cool units uh i was a gang unit officer for a while. I worked undercover narcotics. Um, so, you know, some of those things, you, you serve search warrants. So I used to be the one with the uh, knocking on the door and, and, mm-hmm. and, and breaking that door. So that was like me coming through your house or your apartment first and not knowing who or what you're going to encounter. The person on the inside knows the layout of their house. You have what you think you can put together as the layout. And um, I've had many a guns pointed at me. I've been shot at. Fortunately, mm. never hit. Um, shot out in my probation year, getting out of a, uh, of a cop car uh, in the valley, in the Van Nuys area, and the suspect was uh, on the uh, roof of the building, started shooting mm. down at us, and my training officer, hey, grabbed a shotgun. Uh, fortunately, he went to the northern side. I was on the southern side of the building, so he started aging officers there, and they had to handle business up there, but that was probably one of my hairy moments. Obviously, in pursuits, I don't know how you are, but like I like to drive. And I don't like being a passenger in a vehicle with someone that drives fast. And when you're in a pursuit, mm. high speeds get up there. And I used to get nervous being a passenger officer uh, in high-speed pursuits, so forth. Just stuff like that. I mean, and kind of like when you you guys could both relay or even enacting now, but when you're preparing as a baseball player, you prepare for each at-bat. You, you're already – you've studied that pitcher. You know what you think you're going to expect, and you're trying to anticipate catch a rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with music. I find preparation, same thing with being a police officer. You know, you have to, you have to catch a rhythm every day uh, in order to survive or uh, the business or the job. So it's kind of like, it all kind of relates to life and, and just mental preparation, physical preparation, just being prepared, man.
1: Yeah. I want to ask you about that. Cause that seems like it could be extremely mentally and emotionally exhausting in, in that, in that line of work. Are you constantly on alert or, does that get turned on and that adrenaline starts going at a, at, at a certain time or throughout the day, are you constantly with that adrenaline with that preparedness to a possibly have to shoot or, or, you know, b take incoming fire. I mean, what, how, how does that, you know, how does that work with you and how does it leave you at the end of the day?
2: You know, uh, it's, it's definitely a big mental preparation daily. And I think if you're going to do it right, you know, Like I said earlier, you kind of you go into the day prepared that something could happen. I might not return to my son or my wife or my kids today. I don't want to feel like that, but I have to have that preparation because I have to do what I have to do to survive. A for my family and B to whoever I'm serving, whoever I'm trying to attempt to protect. Um, It weighs a lot on you, you know, and 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 more power to the guys and women that can do it nowadays. I, I find myself I wouldn't be able to to be in law enforcement uh, in current times, you know, when I was there, it was still like doing it for the good guys. And, you know, and now it's just like, it seems to be a little bit haywire out there. Um, I don't know if I really answered your question.
1: Well, you, you kind of did. I mean, I, I just was trying to get to the, the crux of if you were, you know, for the most part in a chill situation and then the adrenaline was turned on, or if all day every day you were kind of walking around with your head on a swivel if you had to give an estimate of it, the percentage of days where you had to engage in something that might have not let you go home what would you what would you say that percentage would be
2: i mean to the extreme of might not let you go home i would say 30% wow of the
1: time. That's, big. Because, that's that's a, a big that's percentage. a big percentage. Three out of every ten days, you feel like you might be in danger of not going home. That's because
2: you got to look at it this way: you're, you're conducting whether it's a traffic stop, when you work narcotics, you're approaching someone in plain clothes. Are they going to freak out? Not figure out who you are? What what type of people are you engaging as an officer? Where are you putting yourself? Like me, when I was a police officer, I like to to work the areas that were problem areas because those are the areas that need policing that need proactive work you know and uh but now and to answer your question how I feel no I think just like uh, I'll relate it to you guys again sports acting if you're prepared if you pr- prepare every day you train you train hard for the situation you train for at-bats you train for your your roles same thing so if you're actively tra- training staying in shape staying in mental shape as well you can go on your daily day without having that adrenaline and kick in but when when shit hits the fan, you've trained so much, you react. And it doesn't mean overreact. It's just, okay, this is what I train to do. I train to respond this way. Okay, I see a pitch coming this way. I train, okay, I'm seeing, you know, what am I What, what am I saying? It's, it's the same thing in my opinion. Like, you don't have to be all wound up tight. You could be normal. Yes, you're a little bit more aware. Like, I'm till this day, I, when I sit at a restaurant, I like to sit facing the door. My wife knows. She takes the seat. I take the seat. Where I get the door I can kind of see Who comes in and goes I don't like to have my back To certain You know Things People Doorways Whatever it might be I just like to be aware But it doesn't mean I'm panicked And freaked out And, and wound up tight I'm just Being aware of my surroundings And like I said Training kicks in You just if you, if you train right You train well You know how to respond And react
0: You know You talk about the preparation You talk about training Listen I'm a huge fan of music Uh, You know, I've grew up on Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder uh, back in the day. I I love all types of music and I've seen so many different types of concerts from MJ since when I was eight years old. My dad took me to go see Michael Jackson to U2 uh, and and various artists. I've seen six concerts of you guys, Bruno Mars, and you guys are probably the most prepared, uh, probably the most entertaining, especially today. Uh, talk about that, being prepared where you're playing, whether you're playing at the Super Bowl, where you're playing at Vegas uh, on New Year's. You guys always seem to put on an incredible show. Talk about that preparation. Well, thank you for that, Jerry, and thank you for your support and
2: seeing our show that many times
0: um you know a lot so a lot- basically i said i'm a groupie i basically told everybody i'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a groupie he, yes, i'm glad he, he you said it that. i'm the- glad <laughs> you said it jerry and not me
1: because you know it was coming jerry <laughs> uh, did you go backstage did you did you throw flowers <laughs> let's <on> just the- <laughs> uh,
0: here, go ahead continue continue
1: <laughs> i might have saw a
2: jockstrap uh, easy uh, easy <laughs> no uh you know what there is a, definitely tons and tons of preparation more than people might even know you know um when a, when a record is produced, okay, everyone gets your, wraps your head around the material and then we'll do probably about two months of band rehearsals, just as a band, locked up in a, in a room, in a studio, learning the album, all right, and, then, and learning it verbatim. Okay, now we've got that, now we're going to transition into how do we make this translate live versus the album, maybe sleepy version, you know, how do we make it a little bit more, more exciting? Okay, then you, so you, you do another about two weeks after that, two and a half weeks of of tour rehearsals, which will mean, mean a live act, a live performance, live versions. Once we get that, while this is being done, my brother starts composing ideas in his head. How do I want this show to look? What do I see? Can he He sees everything from camera angles, where he wants the cameras to be, where the light should be shining from, how the light is shining, what type of filters on the cameras, I mean, he thinks about all that stuff while we are producing a show. So then you, then you, once that is done, the the, the stage is designed, built, and approved. We move into another facility, like a sound stage, uh, where all the moving parts are there, and then we will run the whole show with the whole crew. So you got lighting, stage production, everybody's there, pyrotechnics, and the the show is rehearsed and rehearsed until it's just like it operates almost on its own. Uh, so you're talking about, we'll use a one album cycle as an example. There's probably at least a good four months, three to four months preparing mm. for the first date. Then wow. when you do your first date, you're, ba- you're still trial and error and learning what uh, reactions are from audiences and so forth. What works with the crowd, what shtick, banter, and things are edited as you go. So I would say the second half of tour is always like where it's just like a well-greased machine, you know, just mm. going. And by the time, I mean, I'm not sure which shows, I I know the Vegas show that you came to, but by that time, man, we've been playing that show for almost two years that, that thing's like autopilot.
1: So Jerry- Incredible show. Jerry, you don't know this about me, but when I was a kid, I played the drums up through like fourth grade in the school band. You know, I had the the little rubber, you know, pallet that that, that they had us playing on and I knew all the, 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 the little solos and as i as i grew up i always liked to tinker you know play on when i would come to somebody's house and they had a drum set i'd always like to play and everything and one thing i've always wondered about drummers like you eric is okay a lot of people think that the lead singer is the engine of the show but in my opinion the drummer is the engine the drummer is what makes everything go in the in in time the rhythm has to stay uh you know on the proper pace through the drummer how i mean first of all correct correct me if i'm wrong there and secondly how how easy or difficult is it for you to be on your time every single time now that you're a professional drummer you've been doing it all your life is it something that's not even a second thought or are there times where you'll you'll see that you missed you know you missed time to beat by you know a, a millisecond or something and do you keep track of those things i mean How do you how do you feel about what I said about you being the engine and and what do you think about the question?
2: I definitely will agree with you as far as the engine. You know, they always say the drummer is the foundation, the pulse of the band, you know, and you lay that foundation. So all the other guys, your guitar player, your, your, uh, your keyboard player, piano player, horn player can can sprinkle all the beautiful colors while you're just laying that foundation. Um, that's how I was taught as a musician growing up, playing for my father, playing in his bands. You know, every time I try to get too flashy or or play a little too much, or I, I was the drummer in his the 1950s doo-wop band, and I was playing rock fills, you know, and it, and it got me a lot of lookbacks and like, you know, what are you doing back there? And so it kind of taught me early how to play the game as a musician. Um, and I've always stuck to that since from learning when I was playing at 10 years old and in a, in a live show environment to, to this day. I'm always constantly striving to be just the pulse because it's easy to want to be flashy because I can be heard. I can play the drums and cover up what the vocalist is doing. I can cover up, you know, and just make noise and chaos. But that's not the point of a drummer. The drummer is there to, to lay that foundation, make sure everyone in the audience is dancing. They feel that song. If I see the heads nodding in the audience, I know I'm doing my job. And then the lead singer, he can just have fun and and give the crowd what they want. And at the end of the day, truth be told, fans like Jerry are there not for me. They're there to hear their favorite song from the album or the albums, and they want to hear Bruno recite that. And hopefully the band is providing the music experience that they get when they listen to the radio or the albums and hear their favorite uh, songs. And the second part of your question, oh, yeah, I make mistakes, man. Um, you know, even playing for, for a long time, uh, we use what's called a click track. So it's basically a metronome, right? So we we'll, we'll hear that in our earpieces. You guys see us wear. Um, some guys, if we don't, if we back in the day when you didn't have uh, these in-ear monitors, we would use wedges. And you can't have a click track with you there. So what we do is have a like a light pulse. So you see a blinking light at the tempo of the song. And that was what you would look at. But look, uh, as I've played in my career, I've I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes on TV that no one ever know about, and I ain't telling. Uh, But like things happen, human error happens sometimes. Like I said earlier, the show becomes uh, like second nature and just like almost autopilot, and you you could almost phone it in sometimes because you do it so much. But that's when you make the mistake and you miss something because you're just so on autopilot, you might be thinking about that good cup of coffee you had during the day or, or that <laughs> podcast I did with Steven and Jerry that I kind of zone out. And that's when those little errors happen. And, and trust me, uh, our musical director, our bass player, gives me the look of death if I make a mistake. And uh, it happens, man. It happens to the best of us and you you can't... I think my biggest problem with that, to, to elaborate on your even your question, I'm one of those, like, if I screw something up, it just rots at me for the rest of the show rather than trying to wipe it out clean, you know, like, like you guys say, oh, you know, he struck out two times. Next is a, is a fresh start. You got to wipe that out and and go up. It's the same thing for me, man. But there's times when I can't let it go. And I, I'm Mm. playing that show just thinking about, God, I just pissed this guy off. Oh, I wonder if anybody caught that rather than, keeping it going. So that's even something I still work on till this day.
1: It's probably things that you don't even, that we as the listener don't even hear. You know what I mean? We would never, know. Yeah. would never know. Yeah. Now, you say that we don't come to see you. Now, me, <laughs> personally, like I said, I, I had a fascination with drums since I was a little kid. I grew up, Jerry, here's another thing you don't know about me. I grew up listening to rock music quite a bit. And I I grew up listening to drummers like Peter Chris. Neil Peart um, Tommy Lee you know and so a lot of times when I would go to those shows which I did Jerry I went to some some hard rock shows and listen to those <laughs> to those albums I would listen for the drum solo like Neil Peart on Red Barchetta Wait. or Neil Peart on uh, Tom Sawyer has Classic. you know tremendous drum solos do you do they let you go ham Eric, do they give you a solo and let you do what you can do on stage at shows?
2: So I do have a section with a a, a drum solo, where I let myself spit it out. Um, I keep it kind of short. I've always been like, I'm not a flashy person, and you know, if we ever meet in real life, you'll you'll see that about me. I'm just like, I just like I just like being recognized. Like for example, if you being a fan of drums, when my peers come to shows or other fans of of me as a drummer or, or just yeah period i love when they say man you are so locked in in the pocket or this to me that's what i enjoy versus me showing you all the notes i can play um it is fun and especially if i have a great drum solo and i get the crowd response oh yeah it's it's amazing it's a great feeling um but i i work hard to to achieve what i explained earlier i just want I wanna know that when you came to the show, you're like, hell yeah, that's my jam. I moved, I danced, I felt good during the show. Then to me, that's 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 the reward versus my two minute or less drum solo. Who's but
1: your who's your favorite drummer?
2: My favorite drummer, probably if thinking quick, I'd say Stuart Copeland. Police Jeff Pecar- Jeff Picaro's there, because hmm. uh, with Toto. Um
1: Phil Collins?
2: Oh, for sure. For sure, so. Phil Cole, Neil Peart, um, Tommy Lee, all the all the greats, you know. Then back in the day, we had Buddy Rich, you know, who kind of started uh, making drummers a, a front man. Um, back in the day, before my time, reggae drummers. I like listening to a lot of, you know, old stuff, uh, funk, R&B, reggae. So all the guys, Clyde Stubblefield, James Brown drummer, um, mm. all those guys.
0: You know, Eric, we talked about the transition you made from being a police officer to coming back and being a drummer for your brother. Uh, walk us through that conversation when you finally join your brother uh, with his band. So my brother moved out to Los Angeles
2: probably about eight years after me, five, eight years after me. Um, and of course, his passion as well. So he started trying to get around town, get known, started jumping into studios and learning to write and produce. And during that time, he started helping writing and recording demos for other artists. And it wasn't until later on when uh, A&R a- a- guy said, hey man, I think you sing this song better than the guy I wanted it for. We need to try to do something for you, help them work on getting a record deal. And then finally, when it's time, you know, my brother has some success, and he, You know that song, Nothing On You really kicked it off for him with B.O.B. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of like where people were introduced to, to my brother. And then he recorded Billionaire with Travis McCoy, Just The Way You Are. And that album started and it was time to go promote both Billionaire and Just The Way You Are. And he said, hey, man, I need a drummer. Are you are you down to come out with me? I'm like, heck, yeah. At the time I had just had my son. And so I was on a uh, they call it bonding leave. Uh, you know, basically the maternity leave. So I used that whole, I think I had two or three months. I used that time to go tour Europe with my brother. And that's when I got the taste of that lifestyle. And it, re- it got me back to what my original dream was. And it kind of uh, changed my path and my my mind and my heart. Um, but backpedaling a little bit, prior to going out on this run, he he had the urge to play live too. So we played in a bunch of L.A. spots uh, down in Santa Monica we played a bunch of pubs on on uh, Ventura Boulevard in in, uh, the Woodland Hills area of the San Fernando Valley so we kind of we started playing and of course the whole audience was like "Oh my cop buddies um, (laughs) coming to see us play drinking beers And, and then fast forward to nothing on you coming out and and him you know working on his album having to go promote it here we are and I'm out with him and And again, I got that taste.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, at this point, Jerry and I would like to thank today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Now, you might be asking yourself, what is HelloFresh? Well, with HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy,
0: fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Everyone wants to cut back on errands and spending time in checkout lines this time of year. So skip the extra groceries trip and instead get fresh ingredients and delicious recipes delivered with HelloFresh. Just pick up your meals, decide on a delivery date, and sit back, relax. HelloFresh, that's the choice. The
1: holidays are right around the corner and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time.
0: Guys, I'm always on the go, and I'm sure you are too. And remember, just like always, HelloFresh's ingredients travel from the farm to your door, so you know they're going to be fresh. And everything arrives pre-portioned, so you get the guesswork right out of it. It's easy, it's quick, and it tastes great.
1: You know, Jerry, I have a really busy schedule, as do you, and sometimes I don't have time to cook. And sometimes I just don't want to spend all that time cooking, so... When I don't want to or I want to make it a little bit easier, I use HelloFresh. They send me farm fresh ingredients, pre-portioned recipes, and everything can be done really quickly and really easily. It makes it doable for me, and I don't have to wait for the delivery. I can just cook it and eat it right away. HelloFresh helps me out when I need it most. Go to HelloFresh.com swingingfree free and use code swinging free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash swinging free with code swinging free. That's S-W-I-N-G-I-N-G-F-R-E-E. Jerry, let, let me tell you a story. What what year did, did, did all this start happening, Eric? Can, Pretty much
2: 2008. No, uh, no. Like when we went... Traveling, 2010.
1: Right. Okay, so Jerry, before acting really, really started popping for me, you know, Moneyball came out in 2011. This was before I shot Moneyball. Um, I was one of those guys that I'd get a job here, a commercial there, and I was able to make a little bit of money through residuals and things like that, but I wasn't really making my full living as an actor. So this was right around the time when uh, the World Series of Poker, was very very hot. Two thousand nine, ten, and uh, you know, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I used to spend a lot of time playing. At full disclosure, for a good several months, I was paying all of my bills playing poker, and I, I spent a lot of time at Hollywood Park Casino playing. I know po- where you're going. Uh, poker. <laughs> I know where you're going. And one day, I'm sitting there playing. You know the you know. The, the the no limit hold'em game and you know, you you're there for hours, Jerry. I don't know if you play, but you're there for hours. I, my, my, I played Texas Hold'em. My record was twenty eight hours. At Hollywood Park Casino, twenty-eight hours nonstop. So wow. anyway, not on this day, but on another day, I'm sitting there, and you get to know the guys around you because you're there for for you know with them for hours. And you know, I'm sitting next to this guy, and we start talking. And I'm like, he's like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, oh, "I'm trying," you know, "I'm an actor. I'm you know trying to make it happen." And I'm like, "What do you do?" He's like, "I'm a musician." And I'm like, "A musician?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm a singer songwriter." I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." So we ended up playing poker together for five, six hours, you know, and. Maybe six months later, I'm watching TV. Hey, that's the guy that I was playing poker with a few months ago at Hollywood Park. It turns out it was Bruno Mars. And and it was the craziest thing because from that point on, he just... Blew up, and I was like, I was—he oh, was so cool. We had such a good time playing poker, and I was always so happy for him and proud of him because he, we both sat in that Hollywood Park Casino just trying to get some money, and and he came out, and he blew up. Uh You did you play a lot of poker? You remember what I'm talking about, Eric?
2: I I totally know because, kid you not, that's how he paid me rent because he stayed in my my townhouse with my <laughs> wife and I, and. He, he when he was not in the studio because he was always trying to get in with people, write, produce, he'd be at the casino and he'd come home early in the morning, you know, because he had to pay rent and help me pay some bills. So yeah, I I was definitely aware. I'm I'm not a poker player myself, um, so I, was, I never partake. But it's funny. I, as soon as you said Hollywood Park Casino, I knew.
0: <laughs> so so you're saying so you're saying so you're saying uh, uh Bruno won money from Steven and the money that he won from Steven (laughs) at the poker table, he used to pay rent for sure.
1: Guaranteed some of the money he took home that day was mine guaranteed. He's pretty
0: good actually. Yeah. I I believe that. You know what? We all uh, have a passion, obviously for music. We also have a passion for baseball. Steven, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Eric is a huge Dodger fan. His son is an absolute beast on the baseball field. He's got one of the best swings I've seen from a young man. He can play the game. Uh, Eric, talk about your passion uh, for the Dodgers and for baseball.
2: Man, uh, I consider myself a – I'll call myself a hardcore Dodger fan. Um, But I'll tell you what. The Dodger fan for me, the Dodger fan in me came from my son. Because when I moved to Los Angeles in Hawaii, it's so funny because now I actually know – baseball players that emerged from Hawaii. And, uh, and I've got to befriend some of them. But the funny thing is, growing up as a kid, we always talked about football. And I don't remember baseball being a thing. So I knew football. But coming out to L.A., meet some friends, and they went, hey, let's go to the Dodger game. Let's go to the Dodger game. So I'd go. We'd sit up in the cheap seats, drink beer. And it was cool at the time. It was fun. It was For me, it was like the experience hanging out with the hot dog and the atmosphere. I wasn't in the game yet. And then uh, I had my son, and I think he was about four or five. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take him, just me and him. It's the all-American thing. Let's just go. Uh, sounds cliche, but took him, and he was just fixated on, on the game the whole time. And you're talking about four or five years old, and, you know, for him not to, like, move or want to move, ask for uh, And we left that game, and, and I told my wife, I said, like, you know what, I think I'm going to make that our thing because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching him cheering, and when people were cheering, seventh inning stretch, he got excited. So it became our thing. We became regulars going to games together. And it was then that I kind of like really dove in. And then he gets into T-ball, Little League, and I start being an assistant coach on his team. So I'm starting to develop, figure out the game myself and, underst- and understanding. And so it was growing up with him and seeing his love for the game ignited my passion. And, of course, you know, L.A. all day. And this is where I consider home now and, and huge Dodger fan. We try to go as many games as we can. Um, now I'm, I'm watching him play, and I'm a huge ba- – I know you guys both play baseball. Um, I wish I did as a kid. I, I love the sport. I analyze everything. I, I watch everything from
0: swings now, and but I can't play. He'll, he'll, t- my- he'll text me during games at times, especially when you're on that tequila. Uh-oh. He'll be texting me during the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which hey, I you love know, it. I it's
1: funny. It. You mentioned Hawaii. I've heard you mention it a couple of times. What part of Hawaii are you from? Oahu. Okay. <clears throat> my, uh, my daughter, her mother's side of the family are all from and still live on Maui. Okay. And you know they, uh, you know, big shout to Greg Dyson and all the Dysons out there on on Hawaii, on Maui. Um, they they're a big musical family. Like they have a a family band. You know, where he's a guitarist and a singer. And you know, I've actually played the drums with their band a little bit. At, you know, at one of the cookouts and all that. Um, how how instrumental was was growing up there? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that there's a lot of that uh, out there. You know, big families where they they play music together. Were you was your family a, a family band or did you just take it up on your own?
2: No, big time. You know, um, big time family band. Uh, like I said, my father was produced a, a, a 50s 60s review that That's we right. were all part of. That's right. He not only that though. When I was growing up, he he's a musician as well and he played. Uh, he plays percussion, Latin percussion. So they couldn't afford sitters at the time. I'm sitting under his percussion rig watching him, watching the drummer, and that's when I, I figured out I, I wanted to play drums. You know, I was about four years old myself. Anyway, mom sang in the show, uh, uncle sang in the show, played instruments. So it was definitely a family affair. And and there is a lot of that on the island. You know, that's one of the things I do miss about Hawaii. It's it's really not about what house you got, what car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, what purse you've got. It's it's really all about family. And when they, you know, when they all say that Ohana stuff, it, they're serious about it. They don't have a roof over their heads. They got a car that gets them everywhere. Food on the table. They're successful and they're happy. And part of that is gathering. Like we we used to gather at the beach park and someone brings a <laughs> car and you just sit around, you someone's cooking and singing and you know That stuff I do miss and it's probably out here somewhere, but it definitely feels like I think because Hawaii is so much island on island time that everything just slowed down that you really can see everything happening where everything's so fast and busy over here.
1: The beach park is the greatest, man. I love oh, yeah. I love that you show up, everybody's there. Some like you said, somebody brings a big, you know, mm-hmm. aluminum tray full of marinated meat and they throw <laughs> oh, it yeah. out there on that that community barbecue. The kids are all down at the at the beach running around together, you know, going, yep. you know, the the, you know, uh, with our family uh The grandfather is always checking to make sure they're not, you know, playing over there by where the rip currents are and all that. It's just it's it's an amazing experience. And I love that bond, that bond that the families have out there. It's it's you're right. It is different than it is here in that regard. It's it's but it's 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 very, very powerful. That feeling and being welcomed into something like that was just an amazing feeling
0: for sure. That's why I always love going to Hawaii. It's just a special, special place. And you feel, even though you're not from there, they make you feel welcome. They make you feel part of the family. And I just love that experience going to Hawaii. You know, Eric, last question for me. You know, I I get asked this uh, quite a bit as a former athlete from fans. And they ask, when was the time when you got to the big leagues where you figured out, man, I really made it? I made it to the big leagues. Was there ever a time where you're on tour Uh, at a special place at a concert where you're sitting back, you know, in in front of so many people playing the drums and you have your brother Bruno Mars in front of you where you look back and say, man, we've really made it. You know,
2: that's a great question because I still sometimes there's, I can answer this in three parts. Number one, I probably say one of the biggest moments for us would probably be playing the Super Bowl because, and we've, been lucky enough to play it twice, but the first time, Super Bowl Forty Eight, it was in New Jersey, and I just remember, just you know, the Super Bowl to, for musician is is basically like they used to say the Grammys is a Super Bowl of music award shows, right? And I was fortunate to do several Grammys before even the Super Bowl. So you're in a musician, you're like, all right, man, I made it to playing the Grammys live on TV. I'm I'm up there. I made it to the Super Bowl of music. But then when you actually get to the Super Bowl, and I remember being nervous, walking to the stage, it's freezing. And and we get out there and, and probably the first two bars. So you're talking about the first four or five seconds of starting. I I kind of exhaled and I said, you know what? We did it. You know, and <laughs> this is just another show. Just play, Eric, just play. And then it and then it went smooth from there. And then I'm looking and it's like, that's my goddamn brother up there. And it's like, (laughs) we did this together. You know, I think that to me is one of the most special things that I I get to experience this with my brother, my family member. Um, You know that in sports, but like, yeah, it's just incredible. But second part of that, like that theater that you came to Vegas, sometimes when that curtain drops and and I see people way on the top and they're singing and she's like, wow, man, I'm so blessed. You know, we're so blessed, all of us, to be able to do this, especially after a pandemic, and uh, to be able to go back to that and, and feel that feeling. So till this day, I still am re- reminded, and 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 I I always feel like, wow, I'm lucky. I'm playing drums for a living.
0: You do know, you- I, and I want to thank you <clears throat> during during that pandemic. You know, you uh, were so accommodating. We had we were, we had front row seats uh, with my friends. And a couple of my friends never experienced you guys in concert. They knew, obviously, they loved your music. But when you guys put on that performance, they even told me to thank you guys for having that feeling of being normal again. Because it was during that pandemic, and we we're just starting to get out of it. We we're allowed to, uh, to, go, to go outside and, and, and have concerts and, and go to baseball games again. And for my friends, they were like, this was an incredible show because you guys not only played your music – you guys played a variety of music from Aerosmith to all different types of artists. You brought out Usher, uh, which is, That's right. you know, I'm, an, old, I'm an older dude. Usher put on a show with, with, with you and your brother. It was one of the, it was the best concert I've ever been to. And for a couple of people that I was with, they said the exact same thing. And, you know, I want to thank you uh, publicly for, for re- being so gracious. All you guys were gracious to us. And, again, I know you got to go. I know being a family man, your daughter has a huge softball game. Uh, so I'm a, we're going to let you go. I got a quick uh, but, question, though. Yeah, go ahead.
2: What were, what were you about to say that I had a tequila rant? You said No, I, no,
0: no, because, you know, you text me during the game, you know, oh, sometimes, yeah, especially yeah. during okay. playoff games, you hit me up. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, we, 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 we share the same tequila, oh, okay. Cava de Oro. We love Cava de Oro. It's, it's the best tequila in the world. Uh, hopefully we'll be sponsored by them very, very soon. But <laughs> I love that you uh, hit me up during the game because that's your passion. You want the Dodgers to win so bad. Oh, this I, that's is always cool how
2: hardcore we are here I still got my <laughs> my contribution to Dodger Stadium
1: <laughs> love it that's amazing love it
0: love it yeah.
2: love it. um well, I appreciate you guys uh considering me for Hollywood swinging
0: I hope your daughter does well on her softball game and make sure you tell your son to set a low as well, well uh man. hey EP all the best continued success and again you know, hopefully one day, if you guys ever need a background singer way, 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 way in the back, I can always make myself available for you guys. Sounds All right. Good. Sounds good. <laughs> well, for Stephen Bishop and our guest, Eric, the Panda Hernandez, this is Jerry Hairston Jr. for Hollywood Swingin'.